So today's reading is from Luke 24, chapter 24, and verses 13 through 23, on the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be crucified and sentenced to death. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that. Yes, it is my birthday today. 21 again. Good. I am going to introduce myself. Loads of you will already know me, but I am Faith. As Gaz said, I work on the staff team here. I'm the worship and production and creative pastor, which sounds actually a lot more exciting than maybe it is sometimes. Other times, you get to spend all day taking photos of teeny tiny Christmas trees, and that's great. Um, so, tiny little bit more about me, if you don't know me already. I'm married to Matt and his beard, walking down there. We have three boys, and when I'm not a Bay Church, I have a small business that I use as my side hustle. keeps me creative in the meantime. And I am most happy watching a true crime documentary. Make of that what you will. As we continue our series, This I Know, I wanted to ask you guys a question this morning. When everything seems lost... Who do you say Jesus is? So bear that in mind. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of a story about Matt and I. Matt's already got his tissues ready, as it's still a very painful story. So I'm going to share it with you guys and do my best to keep it together. So about six years ago, Matt was offered a job in California. It wasn't something that we went looking for. And actually, it was really costly for us. It meant huge upheaval for us and the boys, leaving behind friends and family, some of whom were a bit more supportive than others. My mum and dad here were champs, even though it meant me leaving to go to the other side of the world, which actually in hindsight, I have to question, maybe. <laughs> but never mind, we'll address that later. Um, yeah, it was huge, huge upheaval. But like I say, we didn't go looking for it, but we felt quite strongly that this was something God had asked us to do, and so we did it. Um, six months after being offered the job, we were able to apply for our visa. If you don't know anything about the visa system in the States, I can tell you three things. One, it's long. Two, it's costly. And three, it's stupid. <laughs> so, like I say, six months. We've been offered the job. Six months later, we make our application. When you apply for a visa in the States, they only give a certain, a certain number each transfer window, if you like. The year that we applied, after one week of applications being open, it was actually oversubscribed by 120,000 applications. So for their very first starting point, they decided to do a lottery. And four months after we put our application in, so 10 months after Matt had been offered the job, we found out that actually we just hadn't been picked. 
because we hadn't been picked in a lottery, you can't appeal it. <laughs> so the job that Matt had been offered couldn't wait another year for us to apply again. And so literally just like that, it was, it was over. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the God of hope. So my this I know is that there is no situation that is beyond hope, simply because of who Jesus is. So there's three things that I want to pull out of the passage that we've read this morning. The first is that we see these guys, these disciples, go from downcast to doubtful. And it's so easy to let our disappointment and pain make us doubt God, doubt what he said, doubt who he is. To say that Matt and I were broken and lost is an understatement. We ate nothing but takeaway for at least two weeks. Um, <laughs> I'd burst into tears at completely stupid things, uh, you know, a shot of American countryside in a Disney film or an advert talking about chasing after adventure. Honestly, I lost all confidence that God was kind, that he had plans for us, that he cared for us, that we had heard him, that we could hear him, and actually maybe that he was, he was even real at all. When we keep our eyes down on our situation, looking only at our circumstances, we might not even notice that Jesus is walking alongside us. These disciples, he was walking with them and they didn't even notice. When our focus isn't on Jesus, we can easily slip from disappointed to downcast to doubtful and into despair. So in the passage at verse 17, Jesus asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. It says that they'd hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but ultimately they're really disappointed at how things had turned out. They knew the things that Jesus had said about rising from the dead, but that feeling of downcast leads the two disciples to doubt what he'd said. There's a psychological study on inattention blindness. So if you haven't heard of that, I'm about to educate you. Um, that is the failure to perceive something that you didn't expect to see due to a lack of attention. So there's one particular study where subjects are asked to watch a video. There's two teams, three people in each team, and these two teams are throwing a basketball between each other. The subjects are asked to count how many passes of the ball there are on just one team. So it seems really easy. So halfway through this video, though, a gorilla, well, a man in a gorilla suit, like, we want to keep it safe, guys. A man in a gorilla suit walks across, he stops, sometimes does a bit of a dance, sometimes bangs his chest, and then he walks out the other side. This seems pretty obvious, right? I'm guessing everyone here would say, I definitely would notice the gorilla, right? Right? Okay, cool. Um, but about 50% of people didn't notice anything at all, which seems crazy. But when we're disappointed and in despair, we don't expect to see Jesus in the middle of that situation, but that is exactly, exactly where he is. God encourages us to look up, to notice him. He's present in your disappointment. Whatever your situation, whatever hopes have been quashed or dreams destroyed, he wants to lift us out of that disappointment and doubt and into hope. So it is often the way that our sense of disappointment and feeling downcast makes us doubt God. Jesus wants to flip that around, and instead of disappointment, he wants to bring hope, and instead of despair, he wants to bring joy. So disappointment to hope. Matt and I spent months, if not years actually, in a place of despair. The church we were at really struggled to know how to support us, and we were really just quite angry. We were angry with people who tried to offer helpful advice, 
We were angry with people who didn't try and offer helpful advice. I was really angry that we weren't sunning it up in California. We were stuck in always rainy Coventry. Um, ultimately, though, I was really angry with God. It was a really dark time. Basically, though, we got to a point where we said, we're going to give this relationship with God one last shot. So we went to a church in Birmingham called Gas Street. We didn't know anyone, and our plan was to slip in the back, <laughs> slip in and out, unseen, unknown, just to kind of see where we were at. Now, Matt's heart is always, always much softer than mine. So within, I don't want to say minutes, it probably was longer than that, but it felt like minutes to me, he stood there with his arms out, tears streaming down his face. And that actually made me really angry because I was still really cross. I was stood there with my arms crossed, frown on, massive attitude. But we, we kind of kept going and persevered. And after a few months, we joined a small group. We met with our small group leaders just to kind of get to know them a bit, share where we were at, where we'd come from. And they just listened with no judgment. And they really gently pointed us back to Jesus. And what I saw was that they had hope for us. And it was like they reminded us of how to hope. Really slowly, and I can't emphasize that enough, so slowly, I began to believe that God actually did have plans and purposes for us and that he wanted to restore our hope. In the passage, we read that the disciples say that we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And Jesus responds in verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus is reframing their experience of disappointment in hope. There's no situation beyond hope with Jesus. He's the master at bringing life out of the most desperate and dark situations. No more so than when he rose from the dead. He suffered the most painful death, the most painful that we could ever imagine. And anyone else who would have looked at that situation would have said, you know what, that's it, it's done, it's finished and it's over just like the disciples in the passage did. But where they saw death, Jesus won victory over sin and over death. So I did a bit of research into disappointment and hope and the relationship between the two. And what I stumbled across um, was very sad. On the internet, which ultimately is the source of all knowledge, I think we agree, <laughs> um, I found loads of quotes of things like, Hope is the first step to disappointment. Or hope is just postponed disappointment. And this, you can buy this if you want. Pop it up on your wall. What a lovely thing to see every morning. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Etsy, if you're into it. Um, yeah, avoid disappointment. Give up hope. And all I could think was, who would buy that? Where do you have to be to buy something like that and put it on your wall that you want to look at that every day? And then I remembered, oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I would have wanted to see because it fueled that sense of, I don't know, I'm just going to give up on this whole thing. Jesus wants to flip this worldview that hope just leads to disappointment. He wants to meet us in our disappointment and offer hope in him. In 1968, almost two months before he was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. So in place of disappointment, Jesus brings hope. 
And lastly, we're going to look at how Jesus wants to, instead of despair, bring joy. So continuing our story, in 2021, ah, this is a painful story, some friends offered to pay for us to go to Creation Fest, which is a Christian festival in Cornwall. We were in Coventry at this time, so it was a long way, and to be honest, I really didn't want to go. I had like zero interest in going, but they really felt that God had asked them to take us, and so we decided graciously to let them be obedient. (laughs) We borrowed a tent for some friends, um, and when we arrived in Cornwall, we had a half a tank of petrol and about 30 quid in the bank. It was a hard time. Um, but, you know, we were tentatively hopeful that God was going to do something amazing. Matt, like I say, he's always super faithful. He was like, we're going to get breakthrough. This is it. This is the weekend. Why else would we be going? The first night, the first night, the winds reached 89 miles per hour, Right? I was woken up with the side of the tent on my face. It is hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Matt had to get up every few minutes to hold the tent up at the front because this tent was literally folding in half. The tent next to us ripped in half. I'm not even joking. It ripped in half. And they just went home. They'd driven all the way from Stafford. Their tent ripped in half and they drove home. But, you know, I found myself lying there in the dark of night, listening to the wind, Just thinking, God, you have got to be kidding. We've driven five hours to be here. Asher threw up all over the back seat of the car about half a mile before we arrived. And now this. You've brought us all this way for this? I was livid, livid. Um, But I kept thinking, we're going to have to buy our friends a new tent with our 30 pounds. Because they'd booked to go on holiday the week after us. So, you know, that was going to be great, wasn't it? We give them a ripped tent back. But regardless, the rest of the festival was thankfully actually really uneventful. We um, connected with some old friends that we hadn't seen for about 15 years. And do you know what? It was fine. It was great. Fine. No breakthrough, though. So we come home, a little bit cross, but trying to really just keep that buried down. But two weeks later, one of those old friends sent us uh, a message with two job descriptions attached and said, you must apply for these jobs. She introduced us to Matt Bray, and six months later, we moved to Torbay. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's a good response, isn't it? Oh, dear. Right, so the disciples' response, once they realized that it was Jesus with them, was to go straight back to Jerusalem. It says in verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and said, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Jesus restored their hope. He renewed and reframed the way that they saw the situation. They responded with joy and enthusiasm, just like we merrily drove all the way here to Torbay. We all face disappointment. There's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. Whether it's failed marriage or not getting your dream job, opening your advent calendar on day one and finding a flipping bounty, Unless you're my dad, that would be a dream for him. Loves a bounty. Um, Or simply that life just hasn't worked out the way that you wanted. But the hope that we find in Jesus is so much greater than all of those situations. And looking back for us, it's so clear that God had a hand on all of our movements. 
He drew us out of a church ruin, one that we would never have left under normal circumstances. He guided us to Gas Street. He prompted friends to Jenny encourage us, brought us together with old friends, which ultimately led us here to Torbay. We still have so many questions about why things had to happen the way they did, why it had to be so painful. But what we have learned is that if you keep your eyes on God, not on yourself or your situation, there's still hope because Jesus is our hope. Hoping for things or just for a better turn of events is always going to fail you and it will always disappoint you, but Jesus won't. And I just want to say, I know it can be really hard to hear that when you're in the midst of brokenness. I definitely did not respond well to kind people trying to offer me that advice. But this isn't about toxic positivity. It's not about saying, you know what, it's all good. God's good. It's all, it's all fine, isn't it? It's about shifting your gaze to the constant and to the one and only thing that doesn't change. Hope is the confident affirmation that God is faithful and that he will complete what he has begun. So, could we let, avoid letting disappointment of life lead us into doubts? Could we let Jesus turn our disappointment into hope and our despair into joy? Because there is no situation beyond hope with Jesus. Amen? Amen.